Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski. We're joined by special guest Steve Van Meter. We're going to be going over an article, a column, an opinion column in the New York Times about the economy. And the, title's, the title is self-explanatory. The title is The Vibes in the Economy Are Weird. Really weird. Jeff, what are we going to get away from this article? What is, what is the audience going to learn? What's important about it? You know, when I first read part of the article, the first thought that popped in my mind, and I'm sure it was for you, the same for you, Emil, is that this was like Jimmy Carter's crisis of confidence speech. You dirty bastards, this recession is all your fault. How dare you start feeling bad about this economy because that's what a recession comes from. Recession is nothing more than when people get too pessimistic. And, you know, darn it, that's the problem here that we're facing in 2022. People are too darn pessimistic. And if we do end up in recession, it's because people are feeling bad. And it's just, uh, it's just it's one of those things that struck me, like I said, the 1970s, everything that was going wrong during the great inflation and, and then officials and politicians and academics and everybody trying to blame the public for what was not the public's fault. I mean, obviously, the great inflation was too much money chasing too few goods. Where did that money come from? That was the problem. Nobody had any real idea. And so here we are in 2022 facing what markets are saying are a very high probability of recession. Is it because everybody's afraid of recession? Is this, you know, is this sort of a fairy tale where we're supposed to be afraid of the boogeyman in the closet? Or is there something really going on here that nobody's really explaining? Nobody can, nobody seems to have an answer for. So it's not necessarily weird vibes. The weird vibes are coming from politicians, not the economy or the public. Steve, the boogeyman hides under beds. Not in the closet, right? I would always be afraid to look under the bed. And I suppose this article is saying the same thing. Don't look under the bed because you'll be afraid of what you'll see. And then it's a self-reinforcing, self-fulfilling prophecy. And then economy will go south because of it. But you know what, Steve? I thought there were, there was half the article I thought was a little squishy, feely, very little data. And the other half, though, was right on talking about the whole Wizard of Oz effect of the Federal Reserve. Yeah, that's exactly what you have going on right now. I mean, we, we saw this economy got too hot. Oh, and all of a sudden, everyone, policymakers, White House, wait, wait a minute. We need, we need, we need to throw all this thing back. You know, we, we have an issue here. So, OK, so the economy ends up throwing back. The stock market goes down a bunch and all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We didn't mean that much. Like we we just wanted to come off a little bit here. But as Jeff mentioned, you know, there's something going on here. And if you start looking under the bed, what do you see? Oh, you see unemployment claims are rising. Hmm, well, that that's not what we should expect if we're just cooling off a little bit. Uh, we're seeing new order growth coming out of the Fed surveys slowing down. And you're starting to see these little things start to crop up that usually lead to bigger things. But if you look under the bed and see them, you start to worry. But if you don't look at them, then, hey, everyone's got this wrong. It's just a little overreaction. And, hey, stock market's back up, so we're all okay. The boogeyman, he, he was never there. The vibes in the economy are weird, really weird. New York Times, and it's by Kyla Scanlon who has 138,000 followers on Twitter. I think that's more than the two or three of us combined, possibly. But, you know, I, I like what she's after. She's after a human-centric economic analysis to help all of us understand the world better. That's not too far from what we're trying to do. But let's see, let's see where this uh, article goes. Okay, here's the first paragraph. I'm going to emphasize some key words. 
The economy is the story of what people do, how we spend money and time, the quantitative and qualitative aspects of our existence. When that story becomes too noisy to interpret, people begin to expect the worst. Conflicting narratives about the state of the economy are colored by conflicting interpretations of those narratives. And discerning what is actually happening in the economy becomes near impossible. What people expect can soon end up happening. And right now, with worsening data, many people's expectations have come together to expect a recession. And those expectations could very well lead to one. And it's funny because I've got two guys who are always looking at the data. And by my count, the ratio was five to one qualitative narrative story versus data quantitative. Do you guys agree with this sense here that it's feelings and you can't really understand what's in the data? No, not a, not a bit. Because look, why is it that uh, confusion, conflicting narratives, all this stuff is a problem now, but it isn't a problem, say, last year, or it wasn't a problem in 2017, for example, when everybody said, Hey, it's globally synchronized growth, but the data said otherwise. Why is it confusion and conflicting narratives only a problem when we're facing recession? It's, you know, it's never the same way on the other side of things, which it really should be, right? Because let's face it, let's go back to 2017, globally synchronized growth. Everybody said, hey, this is a boom. This is legitimate recovery. Things are going really well. But yet the data said otherwise. So there was conflicting narratives, certainly throughout 2018 and the following year. But nobody complained about conflicting narrative. Nobody complained about expectations when they were trying to sell you something good. They always started complaining about expectations and blaming the public when it started to look like things are going bad. And so is the economy a fundamental property or is it an emergent phenomenon, to use a physics term? Is it an emergent phenomenon from people interpreting underlying fundamental or underlying data and then creating the very thing that they're they're afraid of, and I think that's a that's a more basic question that really gets to what are we really talking about here? I mean, does the, is the data the economy, or how we react to the data becomes the economy? I mean, to me, that doesn't make much sense at all. Steve, did you follow that? Because it's a good question: the chicken or the egg problem. Which one is it? I would think that it's us. The real economy is comes first and then we react to it that's our feelings our emotions our expectations are based on reality yeah because if we're reacting data. to government data which we could point out is lagged heavily revised and largely perhaps inaccurate to some degree well then we're basing our reactions today based on old news and that doesn't make any sense i you know when i go to the store and i'm like oh man the government says this data point is bad for me well i guess i'll just stay home today i mean that's that's usually not how it works but we have to look at what's going on in the economy you know why are expectations low and it's simple because you start looking at consumer prices and expectations fall when inflation goes up and now some people are like, well, that makes sense. Well, let's take the shovel out instead of scraping dirt off the top. Let's actually dig deeper here. Why is that happening? Well, as a worker, prices go up faster than my wages. That's where the start issue starts to get. So if I'm seeing inflation go up and my wages are not going up as quickly, then my expectations for the future are going to be gloomy because I'm thinking every day, wow, that vacation I want to take my family on. Well, maybe I have to go camping now or maybe that car I wanted to buy. Well, I have to sell something to get it. That's not what I want. 
Now, we got to go a little deeper because from an employer perspective, why aren't they raising wages even faster? I mean, we hear you know from the government, they're lagging data called the jolts. There's all these job openings. So surely my employer wants to give me higher wage, but they're not because the employer is looking at their inventory levels and they're looking at demand and everything going, wait a minute, something's not right here. And that's where we start to get to the real truth of the story is that there's just not demand in the economy that everybody is expecting. You know, Emil, I, just to jump in here, I think, you know, it's interesting, too, because there's this perception. I think that the, the first part of the article that we're referencing here kind of got into that, which is, you know, the data is the markets. You know, it's the market looks at the payroll report, for example, and decides that the payroll report means the real economy. And then we all base our expectations on the payroll report. That's not really how it works. That's certainly not how I look at data or markets. The data sort of confirms what, what's going on, or maybe sometimes it doesn't. But the data is kind of telling us what's going on underneath the veil of secrecy and inside the invisible hand, for, for lack of a better term. And that's what markets are doing. You know, we talk about this all the time. The bond market is not looking at the payroll report. The bond market is looking at the actual labor market through its contacts in the real economy and reacting in real time to all of these, this information we can't possibly comprehend. And looking at all of this, this data, all of these contacts that get traded into these markets in real time. So it's not like we're all basing our, our interpretation of the economy on some government report. The government report comes along later and, and it kind of looks like what we already thought it should. So the economy is there underneath and we're trying to get a look at what it must be. And it's not like the other. I think the cart is before the horse in the article here. And I think it is in a lot of people's a lot of mainstream sense, too where we look at the payroll report and the payroll report is the economy. No, the payroll report is trying to tell us what the government thinks about as a snapshot of what's actually going on. And oh, by the way, the market's also taking its own snapshots of what's going on from inside the real economy. And then we get all sorts of other data. So the data isn't the economy. The data is sort of a way to try to look at it. And I think most people have this kind of split personality too, where they say, they may pay attention to GDP or the payroll report and think, well, you know, certainly in 2018, that was the case. People say it looks like the economy's booming because the unemployment rate is low, but conflicting narrative. I don't really see that in my own daily life because for me, I have no job opportunities. There's not a whole lot of jobs out there. I'm surely not getting a promotion. Wages aren't really doing all that well. So the data says one thing, the narrative is one thing, but on the actual economy might be something completely different. I think that kind of gets to one part of what the article is trying to tease out, which is this is not easy. This is really difficult. What is really going on here and how does it really actually work? And it's, uh, you know, economics has done such a poor job educating the public on this thing. There's one last section here before we segue to a different theme of the article, which is about the Federal Reserve. But I really like what you said there at the end, Jeff. It's that we're looking at other inputs. You, at one point, you mentioned that people are looking at the payroll report. No one's looking at the payroll <laughs> report. The three of us and five other people are looking at the payroll report, but no people are actually looking at it. They're getting inputs from gas prices, grocery store prices, as you said, wage increases, the company's prospects, the company you work for. What are the prospects? Have they been good recently? Have my neighbors been buying new cars? Do I have to save a lot more for my credit card? These inputs. And then it translates 
into economic activity and sentiment. Here, here's continuing with the article. Around 70% of GDP is consumer spending, which is largely driven by consumer sentiment. How you and I and everyone else feel about the state of the economy determines what and how, we, how much we buy. I don't think that's right regarding how we feel. I think it's much more concrete. As, I, as we were saying, actual inputs, salary increases, prospects, outlook, gas prices, Quote, recent consumer confidence metrics have been weak, with the Consumer Board's Consumer Confidence Index falling to the lowest level since February 2021. Of course, there's the Michigan survey, and then what other surveys are there? Are there the IBD, IBD survey. Yeah. So there's plenty of surveys, but it's not sentiment first. It's the economy was lousy. That shows up in sentiment, and it's yeah. just confirmed later. It's not... I suppose there's some self-reinforcement taking place. But there also isn't very much of a correlation. I think you're right, Emil. The sentiment is sort of derived from different things than maybe what people. I mean, you go back to a couple of years, 2018, and some of these sentiment surveys, consumer sentiment was through the roof. But yet they were not spending as if the consumer sentiment was through the roof. And I think consumer sentiment was so high because. Maybe people aren't watching the payroll reports. I'm shocked that you said that, Emil, because most people watch the, I mean, every payroll Friday, 8.30 a.m., everybody's sitting in front of the internet hitting F5, hoping that, you know, when the BLS number comes out. Steve is. <laughs> Steven, you no, but you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, people get a sense of this economy in a very nebulous sense from news articles, from, you know, they see the headline on CNN or CNBC that says, oh, unemployment rate 50 year low. They don't watch the payroll report, but they think, well, geez, this economy must be really well because the news media told me. But I don't see that. So in one sense, consumer sentiment is sort of it's mismatched to the certainly the environment that we're in. And again, it gets back to what the, the, the underlying problem here is. What is the real economy? Is it these numbers or are these numbers derived from the real economy and try to give us a sense of what it is, realizing that the numbers themselves, even markets, can be flawed in their understanding and their picture of what's actually going on. Steve, we're going to transition and talk about the Federal Reserve here, but we're talking about numbers. Your whole show is about numbers. What numbers have we not discussed? Uh, we've just talked about the payroll report and sentiment. Any numbers that came out this week that were very important that we want to bring up right now for the audience? Well, we saw CPI come down a, a little bit. Uh, the government, of course, said we had no inflation. <laughs> and I suppose uh, on a month-over-month -month basis, you, you could make that claim. Uh, the people, it was actually people, negative, Steve. It was oh, minus 0.02%. Prices fell. We had deflation last month. <laughs> when you hit F5, it doesn't go to two decimal points, so I apologize. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to correct that. Um, but yeah, so inflation came down a little bit, and the market seemed to be very excited about that. And, you know, and that it makes sense because that tells us that the Fed could pause. Well, not really what it tells you. And, and, and I think a lot of people misunderstand you know, the Fed. Just because the CPI slows down doesn't mean the Fed's going to pause or cut back. You have to think of it from the Fed's perspective. We were hitting this thing with a hammer and it wasn't going down. So we're going to hit it with a bigger and bigger hammer. Hey, it's starting to go down. What does that tell us? We got the right size hammer. Right, Jeff. We're shaking our heads, right? It's coincidental. The broken clock is right twice a day. Is that still true? 
Yeah, and you look know, at but... some of the other CPI data, for example, like the core rate. The core rate has been decelerating for you know ever since March. In fact, everything seems to have changed in March, March including the labor market, which immediately sounds like, hey, Jay Powell, the Fed, the rate hike started in March. Was this all the Fed? The Fed must have done a really good job, which it just makes you laugh because the Fed started in the middle of March after the fireworks in the marketplace. And you could say, oh, the markets were just worried about the Fed doing rate hike. But either way, as you said, Emil, it's just coincidence, like it always is coincidence. And so many people will take this correlation as causation and say, well, the rate hikes are responsible for the end of our national nightmare because, look, they, they happened at exactly the same time. So it has to be one or the other, or one for the other. When we know that's not the case because markets have been more pessimistic about things going back an entire year. Well, the Fed was still doing maximum QE. The markets were already saying, we know how this supply shock consumer price thing is going to end. It's probably not going to end very well. And so when we see the consumer price index for July, it's not really about the July data. It's just that, oh, the July data is consistent with what we would expect to see if we were right all along about this being a supply shock. Eventually, consumer prices would begin to roll over. Now, they're not going to roll over at a very fine point where it goes up and then just goes completely back down. It's a process that takes several months. And of course, that's another problem, too, with conflicting narratives is that nobody likes the word transitory when it could mean more than a year. That's really what the markets have been saying is that, hey, buckle up. This is going to take some time for it to happen. And now we're just starting to see it happen. And it's really about interpreting what that actually means over not just for the Fed, but for the real economy moving forward. Are prices coming down because the economy is just slowing down and things are, you know, supplies are starting to flow, things are getting better. That would be a, a, obviously a positive improvement. Or are prices coming down because, as Steve said, companies are sort of panicking. They're sort of saying, hey, we've got way too many goods and we need to start discounting, if not liquidating some of our stuff, because that's a very different ballgame. And getting back to the context of the article, what are we all afraid of? Are we afraid of something that's actually happening or are we going to be afraid of something that could happen and then make it happen? And I, you know, I have trouble with that part of it. Steve, Jeff, Jeff just said that it could take several months or some period of time before prices come down. I saw two forecasts that I in, rely on that are pretty good going out all the way until June and July of next year for CPI in the United States. And the numbers don't get anywhere close to 2% until July. And not even then, it's still in the threes. So from what I understand, the forecasts are that we're going to have high CPI readings, eight, seven, six, well through the end of this year and into next year. Are we going to put any money on it, Steve? Do you have a forecast of how long this will take for CPI to come down to anything that we have been used to? Yeah, well, if we don't have a recession, I mean, that would be correct. I would expect a slow, gradual cooling off, but that doesn't seem what's likely to happen. You know, one thing I look at is the initial claims, particularly the four-week moving average. And lo and behold, as claims rise with a lag, which would make sense, the CBI starts to come down. And you think about, why does that happen? Real simple. If I lose my job, unlike during the pandemic, when I got more money so I could consume more, under normal conditions, I have less money to spend, so my consumption goes down. Then you tack on what Jeff just said about these inventory, and of course, I think by the end of the year, you have a massive inventory panic of retailers and wholesalers just desperate to unload, and that's where we'll start to see 
Of course, the yield curve and the euro dollar futures curve and all the things that are telling us the CPI is coming down and in a big way start to happen. Excellent. Okay, last section here. I don't know if Kyla stumbled onto this or if she meant to do this, but I think this is revelatory. These next few sentences, quote, the Federal Reserve, the ultimate vibe setter in both good times and bad. People's perceptions shape the economy, but those perceptions are shaped by the Fed. As we all know, the Fed can't plant corn. It can't make boats go faster. Essentially, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell's toolkit is lowering his glasses and sternly saying, hey, stop buying so much stuff in an attempt to normalize the forces of supply and demand. Jeff, she's saying... There's no money in monetary policy. It's all expectations, feel-good psychology, and hope. I, you know, I think I wonder if she's actually saying that, or if she has gone halfway toward that. I think maybe it's possible. My read of the article was that maybe she's just saying, in this case, monetary policy by itself can't work. I don't know if she's gone all the way to realize that this is the only thing the Fed does in all times. I wonder if she's just kind of saying in 2022. Monetary policy isn't the right answer to the problems that we're facing, right? We have a shortage of food. The Fed can't fix it with rate hikes. We can't get enough oil out of the ground. The Fed can't fix it with rate hikes. So I think she's saying, and it's sort of like in a special case this year, the Fed's toolkit is nothing more than moral suasion. When we take that many steps further and say, well, it isn't just this year, the Fed's toolkit has been for the last half century. Nothing more than a Fed chairman getting on TV and saying, I want you to do this and I'm going to move a rate around or I'm going to I'm going to do some stuff behind the curtain. Don't ask any questions about what it is. Just be happy if I'm if I'm being accommodative, just believe I'm being accommodative. If I say that I'm tightening then just believe that I'm tightening, which is kind of what she's getting at. And then in the 2022 case, the Fed is just trying to jawbone consumer prices down. And I don't even think they, they even believe they're doing that. I think they're just trying to placate their political masters and get the public to think that, hey, we're doing something. We feel your pain, which is kind of the, their whole point this year. And as she's saying, it's not necessarily, I mean, how effective can it be? It only can be effective if we believe the economy is nothing more than emotion. Steve, any final thoughts? I, I think uh, that was very well said. I mean, we know the Fed is just all talk and no action. And the fact is, when inflation comes crashing down, as the curves have predicted, we'll see them go, as Jeff has suggested, from massive hawks to massive doves. And once again, they'll have gotten it wrong. Jeff, you hate making predictions. I've made a prediction that it's going to be a gradual decrease. Steve's bold going with a crashing inflation as a recession, maybe crisis hits. Jeff, this is your opportunity. Are you going to pass? Are you going to make a I'm going to predict that one of the two of you will be right. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Take care, man. 